Good morning. We'll be back in the book of Zechariah eventually this morning. And uh, we will look at a passage from Micah, which is on the way to Zechariah. Um, And we've covered this before. uh, But just a few things. Last year about this time, we were kind of going through and looking at uh, the birth of Jesus and all the characters. And obviously we believe the real human beings who... Uh, saw Jesus and had interaction with Jesus throughout, or maybe that was two years ago. I can't remember. But uh, at some point, we kind of covered the idea of you know Simon and uh, these other folks who were you know promised to see the King, uh, that, that Jesus would come and uh, they get to see him and, and interact with him and talk about that. And you know that's just been on my mind as I'm sure it is for many others this time of year and. We want to acknowledge that, I believe, as a, as a church. We, we want to see that. We want to rejoice in that, that there are so many at this time of year who, who look at the birth of Jesus and, and inevitably, uh, if they carry that story out, and obviously it would be great to encourage people to do that. They, they come to this death, burial, and resurrection of which we find our hope. But in Micah chapter 6, I think that we have a uh, kind of an undersold uh, reference or at least definition of Jesus, and I would go so far to say is the Holy Spirit. As we get to Zechariah 8, we're going to look at this return to Jerusalem and this rallied cry of returning to the city of peace. And I think there's a couple of things I'd like to point out there before we get to that chapter. We look at Micah chapter 6, verses 7 through 8, and I think we look at here this comparison of what God calls us to, to do. And I think we as a country, uh, we have been founded on Judeo-Christian beliefs. And uh, however you look at our country, obviously we have bumps and bruises and we have things that we wish were not the case. Uh, but we do have a foundation that I think that leads to us uh, at least being able to A, acknowledge that we have issues and then also be willing to deal with them. And I think that those are two things that, that are definitely Christian beliefs, Christian foundations. Uh, John, obviously in 1 John, his epistle says, you know, to walk in the light as he in the light is to confess our sins. And he is just to forgive us. Right? And so we see this, and I think that it's kind of interesting to look at Micah 6, 7, and 8. And you look at 7, and that kind of is our response. You know, the things that we do... And sometimes these are good things. Obviously, child sacrifice is not something that we look at and and raise up. But we know that there are people in history who have done just that in an effort to try and appease the gods. And and we know that the Bible speaks adamantly against that. That's not acceptable. But we do see this idea of sacrifice and sacrificing animals. And, and we see this, how our response to sin is and what God's response to sin is. Verse 7, should we offer him thousands of rams and ten thousands rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? Which is interesting in itself that Jesus would be the Son of God who would uh, openly and, and sign up and do all the things that leads to his crucifixion. Verse 8, know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. Have you thought about how lost we would be, that we wouldn't even know? And Paul makes reference to this in Acts 17 about 
walk, you know, on our knees trying to find out what is acceptable and good and how to treat people. And, and you can look at human history and the things that we want to try to repeat even in our country that have been proven over and over. And there's an abundance of evidence. You literally just have to open a book and read of how many times people have had a really good intentioned idea that just blows up in their face, right? I've been on this planet since 1981 and I can give you a tremendous list of things that I had just a great amount of intention, good intention, is blown up in my face. Because, you know, good intentions doesn't really do much of anything. I believe that you could look at the Apostle Paul and you could find somebody who had just a great amount of good intentions. He thought with every bit of his being that he was doing what was right. And God, Jesus in himself, reaches out and gets his attention and says, this is what's acceptable. And we see that play out over and over and over again from Adam to our time. Romans makes that reference. He says, from Adam to Mo- death reigned until through one man righteousness came. So he, what's the second part? No, people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what He requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I've never read that and thought about Jesus, the, the person of Jesus Christ. But notice that over and over again, He keeps the law and even some of the traditions of man to, to make sure that, you know, that, that things get taken care of the way they are. There are times I'm sure that he winked. You know, I think about you know, these guys, hey, we want a sword. Can, we need to take a sword. And, and, and there's two, I think there was two. And, oh, will this work? Yeah, that's good. You know, even though Jesus knew that 600 some odd guys were coming armed to the teeth to take him and that's what, how it was going to work. And so there are times where Jesus makes statements like that. And he, okay, whatever's going to make you feel comfortable or give you security. Uh, but then he also lives humbly, loved mercy, and walked with God. And I think that that's why that verse means so. It's the same thing with John 3.16. Why do we love John? Well, it's, it's the entire narrative of Scripture in one verse that we can easily memorize. And it has that impact that we can go to it over and over and over again. I think of as we turn to Zechariah chapter 8, and it starts to talk about Jerusalem. I'm very encouraged by the Bible because it is very repetitive. So if you think old Travis Creasy beats a dead horse till there's nothing left when he preaches, I've got a lot of background for that, right? I've got a lot of, of reasons for doing that because I think these themes show up. Even in the most uh, you know, obscure person, you look at Melchizedek and what little we know of him, we know that he was the king of Salem, which eventually would become Jerusalem. Jerusalem means peace, the city of peace. And so Melchizedek is the king priest of peace. And so Hebrews makes that connection later. Jesus is in the lineage because we're not given a uh, really a genealogy of Melchizedek. He just kind of shows up in the light and then he goes back out. You know, he exits, exits as soon as he shows up. And, and so there's no one that we can point to as to who, who should be his ancestor. And so it's a nice little connection to Jesus there that, yes, we have a genealogy of physical people that he came from, but really... He existed before them, John chapter 1. And then he comes in tabernacles among us. One of the other great uh, things that you can miss 
That's a nod is, is this interaction between Mary and Elizabeth. When Elizabeth sees Mary coming, it says that John leapt in her womb. Uh, very similar to what David's reaction is when the tabernacle comes home. This celebration. And so over and over in the Gospels, they're like, do not miss who this is. What we have in the very person of Jesus Christ. And so Zechariah 8 is fulfilled. All of Jesus' wonderful actions and His love and His mercy is with the backdrop of the temple. And we see Jesus as a small child coming to the temple and interacting with this, this priest and this prophetess. And, and they're like, Zechariah, right? You know, these, these great things that we've been told has come. Right? They rebuild the temple, but you can argue and debate on whether the presence of God was there until this child comes. And remember the story of leaving him behind. What have you been doing? Well, I've got to be about my father's business. There are these things that have been prophesied that I am here to fulfill. Can you imagine the excitement? You know, growing up, I thought one of the corniest songs ever at Christmas time was Mary, Did You Know? I just thought, oh. That's the corniest song in the world. I didn't really like it. But now, man, does it hit home. Did, did you know You know what was going on? I, I tend to believe that she did. I mean, an angel shows up and says, hey, this is what's going on. You kind of at least know some of it, right? And, and you get the point. Hey, this is different. Uh, I remember watching The Passion of the Christ for the first time, and I don't know that I shed a tear until his mom, which we don't know. We don't know that that's what went on, is sitting there and watching this transpire in that slow feeling of I know this must happen but does it have to happen like this you know that, that that slow rolling almost car wreck that you're just like oh no you know is there any way we could stop this and these are things that are prophesied and I give all that intro to get to chapter 8 this is then another message came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says my love for Mount Zion is passionate and strong. And there we see the difference between the God of the Bible and the gods that so many people want to serve today, including ourselves. There are things that war for our attention. There are things that war to take that God-shaped hole in our soul, the place there it could never feel. Whatever sin we struggle with, whatever difficulties we face, those are all things that are passionate, not about our well-being, but continuing to take from us. And Satan will use those. He's active. He's a roaring lion seeking to whom he may devour. But the beautiful thing about that for us as believers is, is Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And he is just even actually more aggressive, willing to give of himself. What is Satan ever willing to give of himself? Nothing. And see, so we see a God who says, oh, I'm going to require a living sacrifice, but for that to matter, I'm going to become a killed, a dead sacrifice. A, a, a sacrifice that you wouldn't, as I've stated, wouldn't treat an animal that way today and get away with it, and rightfully so. So for us to be able to have the luxury of a willing, free will Christian, I can serve God in just about every capacity that I find my feet in because He was willing to give up what we hold most precious. 
and that is life. How many millions and billions of dollars are spent every year just to look a little younger? To, to, to progress and keep life rolling along on its tracks. Think about how much money is spent in Jesus. It says in the psalm that we say, He came to die. He came with that purpose. The Lord of Heaven's armies is passionate. If He's passionate for Jerusalem, what does He feel about us? How does He feel about us? This presence of God who finally returns in the body of Christ. And what Paul will go on to say and say, you are the temple. Jesus would look at that, that temple that had been built and it's being talked about. Here's tear it down in three days, rebuild it again in three days. I'm going to tear it down and be rebuilt because of what he did. We now are the embodiment of, of the Holy Spirit, that presence that comes to us. And now the Lord says, I'm returning to Mount Zion. I will live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of Heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem's streets with their canes and will sit together in their city squares. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls at play. He's going to bring everybody together. All right, He, he wants that. Now Jesus also says, I brought a sword. I'm going to make people. There are going to be people who hate you because of me. But that's not the end result that he wants. He just understands how the truth works. The truth is brutal. And sometimes we're ready for it and sometimes we're not. Sometimes it's wait a little longer. We've probably all had that discussion with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Not right now, Lord. Almost thou persuadest me. Right? Come again and maybe I'll be ready to accept that. And the beauty of that is, is this justification, this sanctification process that begins and ends with Jesus. Have you thought about that? The justification has been made, but the sanctification will end when Jesus has those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Should we ever want to hear anything greater than that? Some wonderful things that we accomplished. I've had some epic fails of massive proportions, and some of you have been there to witness them. But there's no greater goal in mind than to hear those words from Jesus. I don't even care if... He doesn't have to say, Travis, I, I'm good with servant. That works. That's great. Right? I, I just want to hear those words. Verse 6, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you. Think about all the things that are in the realm of impossible Think about all the things that maybe in our ignorance towards the power of God that we've looked at and said, that's impossible. That person will never come to know the Lord. They're too far gone. And understand that God is a person who perseveres, who continues on. That it doesn't come down to our judgment. My judgment will fade and it will pass. The judgment of the judges in this country will fade and they will pass. The judgment of the Lord stands forever. And we have those wonderful words, Romans chapter 8. If Jesus does not stand against us, then who can? If, if God is for us, who can stand against us? And the answer is resounding, nobody. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. You can be sure that I will rescue my people from the east and from the west. I will bring them home again to live safely in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be faithful and just toward as their God. And this is in Zechariah. I mean, if you need some, some faithfulness from God, just start in Genesis and make your way through. 
Even, even at the time where, you know, hey, God says, hey, Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm, I'm going to just wipe them out and start over with you. And Moses says, hey, don't do that. You're, you're faithful, right? You are God. And you, you're going you're gonna to be solid through all this. You're going to keep coming with that undying, unconditional love like a wave. Just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. And so what is our message today as Christians? To be a part of the wave that's coming over and over. Paul says that, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. God gave the increase. May every person who comes in contact with us as the body of believers, see the love of Christ from our successes to our failures. And let that be a part of this continual Holy Spirit that works 24-7 and never rests. He continues to work today, and I pray that's what we believe. And that's how we are different. That's how we can be a light in a dark time, is to know for a fact just what you read this morning, that God's going to come through. And it's going to be amazing and it's going to be in a way where nobody else can even receive a little bit of the glory because He will receive it. And all the people who are seeking their own glory will be revealed one day. And how sad that will be for those who all their entire life have sought their own glory. And in the face of that, and in some cases, as the gospel, right, with Jesus, these guys, the Pharisees, oh, we've got to protect our glory. We've got to protect our glory. We've got to show our authority and our, our ability to do this. And what does God go? Stop hitting yourself. Because I'm going to take what you think is your glory, and I'm going to save the whole world in spite of your legalism. And he keeps doing that. But now I will treat the remnant of my people, verse 11, as I treated them before, says the Lord of heaven's armies, for I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you, the grapevines will be heavy with fruit. The earth will produce its crops and the heavens will release the dew. Once more, I will cause the remnant of Judah and Israel to inherit these blessings. Among the other nations, Judah and Israel become symbols of a cursed nation, but no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you both a symbol and a source of blessing. So don't be afraid. Be strong and get on with the rebuilding of the temple. Get Busy. Now, that's my favorite part, right? Because the be still, I'm not a fan of. Because then it gets dangerous at my house. If I'm sitting and waiting, the nerves are through the roof, and I've got to go do something. Both of those can be commands of God. But at this point, he's saying, you get ready to build, and then I'm going to fill it with what needs to be filled. I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to send my son to do it. Don't call it a comeback. It's God keeping his promise. It says, the, do not consider God being slack in His promises because He's going to keep them. He's, he's a thousand. He's never struck out. He always hits the home run, the long ball. It's coming. You just get ready. Don't worry about the mule being blind. Just load the wagons because here we go. You've got to be ready. First Thessalonians, right? He tells them, hey, the Lord's coming. They all quit their job. He writes, Second Thessalonians, hey, listen, you've got to go back to work because you've got to be a witness. You've got to testify to the world of how awesome God is, right? The darker the world, the brighter the light shines. Oh, it's never been this bad. Well, take a walk down the first century street with me, okay? Right? Maybe not in our country has it ever been this bad. I don't know. We can debate, but in the, in the epics of time... Abraham was a world changer. 
Why? Because he was great and he was on. No, because the light of God was shining through him. Elijah goes to the, to the cave. Oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Don't we do that? Oh, I'm, that's just so bad. I'm the only one. I'm the arbiter of truth. I'm all by myself. God's like, give me a break, man. You know, I've been in this business a long time. If you'll let me transliterate a little bit there, okay? I've been in this. You're not alone. There's a remnant. So what he tells them. You have to serve the Lord where you are. I've heard the story. I've probably shared it. You know, somebody asked an elder, where, where's your church located? Right? And they're looking for a geographical location. And he starts talking about all the jobs that his members work. You know, one carries the mail. One teaches school, you know. And, and it's the church is going out and in there every day showing the light of the world. We have so much positive that we can share. And I believe too much to be an Eeyore all the time. Right? Now, you don't have to be a Tigger all the time. Right? There's only one of those anyways. Right? And, and I'm not saying that we... we uh, what I'm typically preaching is avoid the extremes. Right? We, we need to mourn with those who are mourning. We need to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Because those times are not forever. This too shall pass. For this is what the Lord of armies says, I was determined to punish you when your ancestors angered me and I did not change my mind, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But now I am determined to bless Jerusalem and the people of Judah. So don't be afraid. But this is what you must do. Tell the truth to each other. Romans 1, what, how does that whole snowball rolling to hell start? They suppressed the truth. They suppressed the truth. We've certainly had times in our existence as a school where people wanted to suppress the truth. And man, it hurt. And I'm sure we'll have those moments where it hurts. The truth just hurts. We don't like it. But when the truth comes out, it means what? We can work with that. And we can get going in the right direction. And sometimes you just have to rip that band-aid off and God says, I'm willing to do that for you. <laughs> for, for minimal price, I've already paid it. I'm willing to do that for you. He loves us too much to leave us where we, He's willing to meet us where we are. But He loves us too much to leave us there. I believe that's what He's unpacking here. Verse 17, Don't scheme against each other. Stop your love of telling lies that you swear the truth. I hate all these things, says the Lord. Whitney ran across a t-shirt yesterday and I was tempted to buy it, you know. If liar's pants actually caught on fire the news would be a lot more fun to watch, or at least entertaining. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's the truth of us all, right? I mean, there's things that we, you know, we can present things in a certain way that are a lot better and a lot easier to swallow, but we've got to be careful we're not suppressing the truth because the truth will set you free. But it also takes a little hurt sometimes, and the truth will be revealed. We believe that as Christians, that one day the truth will be revealed. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Here's another message that came to me from the Lord of Heaven's armies. This is the traditional fast and times of mourning you've kept in early summer, midsummer, autumn, and winter are now ended. They will become festivals of joy and celebration for the people of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. People from nations and cities around the world will travel to Jerusalem. The people of one city will say to the people of another, Come with us to Jerusalem to ask the Lord to bless us. 
Let's worship the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm determined to go. Many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord of heaven's armies and to ask for his blessings. We see this every single day, right? I imagine every one of us somewhere on our bucket list would love to go to the Holy Lands. Somewhere on there. And there are people that have gone over and over again. People who are baptized in the Jordan River. You know, it's almost a destination. Yeah, I'm like always going, okay, we got to make sure we're doing this, you know, for the right reasons. Obviously, I don't get to judge that. I'm pretty happy about it. But, you know, in my own mind, it's like, okay, do I want to go there? Why do I want to go there? You know, is, is the motive pure? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. In those days, ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew. And they will say, please let us walk with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Emmanuel, God is with us. You can turn to Acts chapter 2 and you can see a representative from all of the world coming to Jerusalem at Pentecost hearing the gospel message, the same gospel message that you're hearing this morning, and committing themselves in the shadow of the temple, in the face of the very people, and maybe even some of the very people who are in the crowd, I would be willing to say that, who said just a few weeks earlier, crucify Him, crucify Him. Now ask one of the greatest questions that's ever been asked, what shall we do? Notice the running theme. How do we know to be acceptable to God? It's not something I've created. I probably would create some other process that we'd need a whole other book for. In fact, there are men who've done that. Right? It's not any of that. It's a God who says, this is what makes me happy. He told us all the way back in Micah, right? To walk humbly. To, to walk humbly with the Lord, to show mercy, love, peace. And those things don't come natural, at least I can say to myself, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm molded more and more in the image of God. This morning, if you're asking the question, what shall we do? I, I believe with all my heart the Bible teaches us to hear the Word. That's how faith begins. And to obviously, you know, confess Him before men. And we do that every single day. It's not just a one-time thing. And confess our sins, repent turn away from them, say, I don't want to live in that anymore. I want to live a faithful life to God through Jesus Christ and with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I want to put on Jesus in baptism. I want to get into Him. As it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How do I get into that? Well, just a few chapters earlier, He tells us how we can be in that death, burial, and resurrection, and raised to a new life. Notice that easy is not in the equation, but newness. There's a dying world who, whether they can acknowledge or not, want that life so desperately. But they need somebody who God has turned the light on for them to try and do the same. Maybe this morning you, you are a Christian and maybe you know and realize that you're not living in the light as He is the light. Well, as I said earlier, it's simply confessing your sins. If it's of a public nature, we're going to stand ready. We're going to pass the microphone. You can sit right where you're at and get forgiveness for that. And I believe that in your heart, if you've asked for that, then God's already given His. But there may be somebody here who needs to hear that and they know of something that... That there, that forgiveness needs to be given as a body, or maybe you're just sitting right where you're at. And you know there's something in your life. It doesn't have to be public. 
the, the Holy Spirit already knows. It's just simply buying in to what He's offering. This morning, if you have any need whatsoever from a spiritual, obviously we would love to, to do nothing more than just that. But if there's also something physical that we could do to show the love of Christ through this body, we stand ready in this song to do just that as we stand and sing.